right. Well, good morning. Good morning, Emmanuel. Welcome to worship with us this morning. We are so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. It's just a good Sunday to get together and um, <clears throat> to encourage each other, to spur on good works in each other. So make sure you take a uh, have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone to spur each other on. That's why we get together on Sunday morning. Um, if you are new to Emmanuel, and you haven't connected with us yet, we would love to get some information from you. Um, so any information you would be willing to share with us, um, you can put that on the connection card. So if you're new and haven't filled out a connection card yet, you'll have an opportunity to drop that in the basket as they go by <clears throat> later on in service, or you can drop them off around campus. We have different drop boxes. If you are wanting some information about our church and how our church operates, stop by the welcome desk. It's in the cafe. You will have people there who can answer those questions. Um, but yeah, we would love to reach out to you, phone, text, email, uh, get together for coffee, however you want to get together um, and just learn more about about our church and how they operate, uh, how we operate. Um, we, uh, we have a couple events coming up. So tonight at five o'clock, we have our family ministry training event. Um, that is for anyone who volunteers or is wanting to volunteer in Discovery Park, the hangar, or with students. So, or if you're interested in learning about what volunteering is is in that, please please join us tonight at five o'clock. Um, also, this Friday we have our Fishers of Men event. Matt is gonna you can come on up here. Matt Colson. Um, helps lead our men's ministry and he and Clint Fowler have been organizing this event and we've given announcements on it but it is this Friday at six o'clock it's a men's conference in fish fry the cost is twenty dollars um, he's going to talk a little bit more about it but um, yeah we would encourage encourage all of you to come so uh, Matt what is Friday night going to look like um, for the Fishers of Men event. So we've had some men ask, um, because we want men to show up, it will be indoors, first and foremost. <laughs> it's gonna be hot, so it's gonna be an indoor event. Um, okay. It's just gonna be a great time for men to step away from their busy schedules, be able to come in community with other men. We're gonna have deep fried Southern food, um, banana pudding, all the good stuff, fish. All right, if you don't like fish, all right, eat before you come. We're gonna have fish. <laughs> um, so we're going to eat over there. We're going to come back over here. We got fellowship. Um, Blake Prime from Rick Burgess Ministry is going to be giving us a word, a challenge in uh, Christ-like masculinity. Then we're going to have some door prizes and on our way. All right. Sounds good. And Matt, what is kind of the vision behind having this event? Why, uh, why is the men's ministry putting this on? Yeah. So the vision of just this event is that the curriculum we're doing with Man Church and Rick Burgess is we want to meet corporately once a quarter. And we've partnered with other churches, um, Pilgrims, First Baptist. Uh, hopefully we got Bob over at Woodlawn going to start soon. Um, but the overall vision of this is to help empower and grow men in a Christ-like masculinity. At the, at the end of the day, in a nutshell, that's what it is. Very good. That's awesome. And um, after this event, after Friday night, how can, how can men in our church connect with um, men's ministry and discipleship? Yeah, so... This isn't a one-time thing. Like We want men to show up and get empowered and be able to step out of the rows out here and get in with us on campus in the curriculum on Tuesday and Wednesday night to be able to dive in and, and get in. And that's where the growth happens, you know, with us in the, you know, in that, on that table just you know, going through this curriculum and, and really uh, 
understanding what it's like to have a Christ-like masculinity. So. Well, very cool. Well, thank you, Matt. Yeah. Um, we're going to spend some time in prayer for this event and for our family ministry event and for our worship service. But I think Mint, uh, Mint and Clat. Matt and Clint yeah. will, <laughs> will, well, be, will be around after a day, answer any questions yeah. you have about it. And, and we, so. got, we got Wednesday night, too. So you got Alan and the other guy that meets with Kevin him. and Bruce yes, yes. will be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not great with names. Um, so, but yeah, and, and look, y'all get registered, okay? And me and Clint are ruthless. All right. We, we chased down Pastor Shan last service in between the 8.30 and 10 and made him register, and he's emceeing the, emceeing the event. Okay. So, um, nice work. Y'all get registered. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's pray. Band, y'all can come up, and we're going to pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the life that you give us. God, we thank you for bringing us together as your church. Um, we thank you for being with us. God, we pray that you would, um, your Holy Spirit would just work and move in our family ministry event tonight and in our men's discipleship event on Friday night, God, we pray that you would continue to lead people to repentance. God, we pray for the event Friday night that you would lead men to repentance, to turn away from sin, to trust you. We pray that you would um, help men lead their uh, families well. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to help in that as a church, God. We pray that you, this morning you would allow us to worship well. We would learn from your word. Uh, we would praise you, and we would um, that we would just know that you will rescue us from sin. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Morning. We're going to be studying from Jonah chapter two, but right now I'd like to read for us um, from the book of Hebrews chapter twelve, verses five through eleven. In chapter two, we're going to learn about the discipline of the Lord, and I think that this passage is going to help us to frame what we're going to learn. I'm also thankful that we just sang and proclaimed about the love of God over and over and over, because we at first glance and in the moment do not think of discipline as an act of love, but it is the act of a loving heavenly father. So read with me now from the book of Hebrews, verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves." And chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Father, we're thankful for your perfect and holy word. We ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would enable us not just to understand it, but to be transformed by it more into the holiness that you have called us to. We ask, Father, that 
you would help us to see your discipline as an act of love and that we would learn to be thankful for it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, Lord, we love you, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for the love that you continue to show us on a daily basis, Lord. I pray that you would just allow each of us throughout our weeks, Father, just to uh, just take account for the little things, the small blessings, Father. That I pray that we would just claim those as win, Father, as we uh, deal with so many things throughout our week, Father, our hurts, habits, hang-ups, our struggles, Lord. I pray that we would just remember to keep you on the front burner each and every day, Father, through every decision that we make, Father, and everything that we do. I pray that we would just seek you wholeheartedly, Lord. We just thank you for our uh, pastor today, Father. I pray that you would speak through him, Lord, and allow it to be your words, Father, and not his own. I just thank you for each and every person here, Father. Please uh, allow us to each have divine appointments throughout the courses of our week, that we're able to minister and love onto those, Father, um, that are searching for a hope in this this dark and empty world right now. Um, We just praise you. We love you. And thank you for our worship today, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you grab your Bibles as you grab your seat and open with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. You'll remember we kind of left off at a cliffhanger, uh, which reads this way. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so in today's text, we're going to learn what happened in the belly of the fish. But I would imagine there are at least a handful of people in the room who are at least a little bit distracted, wondering what kind of a fish it was that swallowed up Jonah. Now, this is a natural question to ask, and you you would be surprised to learn that there have been hundreds and hundreds of pages written on this subject from both biblical scholars and marine biologists. Endless discussions, things like, well, the the diameter of uh, the great whale's esophagus is only large enough to allow, or, or things like, well, the digestive tract of a great white shark is much slower than other sea creatures, or... um, well, the, the stomach of a sperm whale has more gas in it than other animals, which would allow for him to breathe. And it goes on and on and on. And let me encourage you in this way. If you are struggling to believe the story of Jonah because you don't know which kind of fish swallowed him up, you're kind of missing the point. This was a miracle. Uh, we believe that God created everything out of nothing, simply by speaking it into existence. There was no light. He said, let there be light, and now there is light. So if God wanted to create one weird fish that had an extra wide esophagus, a very slow digestive tract, and lots of gas in its tummy, he is more than capable of creating this fish in order to miraculously sustain Jonah in its belly for three days and three nights. It's kind of like asking, well, how was Jesus able to walk on the water? Well, if his feet were wide enough and he flapped his arms hard enough. And it, it, No, we're missing the point. Our God is able to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And he decided that he wanted to save Jonah from drowning in the ocean by swallowing him up in a fish. And then he decided that he needed to teach Jonah a lesson. And so he miraculously sustained Jonah inside of that fish for three days and three nights. And it was during that time that Jonah learned the lesson that God was trying to teach him, or at least 
part of the lesson that God was trying to teach him. You'll remember, maybe you're new to the book of Jonah or to the Bible. What happened was God called Jonah to go and to deliver a difficult message to a certain group of people who Jonah thought would certainly kill him. Jonah decided that instead he would try to run from the presence of God. Now, the Bible teaches us that there is no place that God is not. He is everywhere, but the, everybody else in the world at that time believed that gods were in specific places in specific locations. And so Jonah showed that he believed what the world believed rather than what the Bible teaches by trying to run from the presence of God. Now, God... Um, sent a storm after him. Jonah ends up in the sea. He begins to sink, and then a whale swallows him. And that's where we pick up in our text this morning. So what we saw in chapter 1 were the actions of God's discipline against Jonah. And what we're going to see in chapter 2 are the results of the discipline, what came to be because of it. And so we'll see four of those results this morning, but let's read now chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. Then Jonah prayed, in other words, after three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This prayer is in Hebrew poetry, and so this prayer is more like a song than it is like a traditional prayer. And so, I don't know, he was in there three days and three nights, he didn't have much else to do. Maybe he composed a song, or maybe he composed this later in life and put it in the book. Either way, this is a reflection of what God has taught him in his time. Now, as we read through verses 1 through 7, a quick glance at it, you would be a little bit confused by the chronology or the timeline of what happened. That's because being Hebrew poetry, he has three cycles or three parallel statements of the same event. This is common in poetry, in Hebrew poetry, was parallelism. And so he's describing the same thing that happened basically three times. And so, just so that we're not confused, I'll tell you what happened, and then we'll see it in the text. He was thrown out of the boat, swam, I don't know, for a little while, eventually started to sink, and at some point, realizing that he was about to die, he decided to cry out to God in prayer for rescue. God did rescue him, but not in the way that he probably expected, by swallowing him up with a great fish. After being in the fish for three days and three nights, finally Jonah realizes what God is trying to say to him, and it's at that point that he composes this song prayer and is telling God that he has decided, he has learned what God is teaching him, and he's going to do something about it. That's the chronology. Now let's see it in the text. Uh, Go back to verse 1. The Lord, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, depending on what your translation, what word your translation chose, the word Sheol is a Hebrew word that could mean a couple different things. It could be death itself. It could be the grave. It could be the realm of the dead. It could be what we think of as hell. That word could be used in all of those different ways. But essentially what Jonah is trying to say here is he's saying, I am thankful to be in the belly of this fish because I realized the other option was to be in the belly of death, which is 
ironic because typically when you're in the belly of fish, it's also the belly of death. But God has done something miraculous, astounding here. And Jonah is praising him for answering his prayer. Look at verses 3 through 4. He retells the story again. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Now this phrase, looking upon his holy temple, was Jonah, uh, after sinking and beginning to drown, it's his last moment, he comes to the decision to pray to God and ask for rescue. That's what the phrase, looking upon the holy temple, means. Now the people of God, though they knew God was everywhere, they believed that his presence was especially and intentionally in the temple. And so often they imagined directing their prayers spatially, directionally toward the temple. And so that's what he's saying here. I'm going to look towards your temple. I'm going to pray to you, God. So verses 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. So he's saying, I I was as good as dead. I had sunk down, deep, deep down into the ocean. But because he had looked to the holy temple, because he had prayed, this is what happened. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." And so Jonah recognizes that because he prayed to God in this last moment of desperation, God did rescue him. And so as we think about these four results of the discipline of God, the first one that we see is God's rescue. The results of the discipline of God is God's rescue. Understand Jonah, at the time of praying this prayer, singing this song, he's still in the belly of the fish. He's still under the discipline of God, and yet, what has he been rescued from? Certain death, the full consequences of his sin. If God had not acted by rescuing him through, if God had not asked you, let's try that again. Let's back it up. If God had not acted by disciplining him, then he would not have been rescued from certain death. And so, Before we dive into this whole idea of discipline, we need to make sure we understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Because oftentimes we use these words synonymously and they are not. They are two different things. Punishment is the act of a just judge giving someone their earned reward, the due that they have, that they should receive for their unjust actions. But discipline is the act, not of a just judge, but of a loving father whose primary concern is not justice, but correction and instruction and training. And we saw that in the book of Hebrews. He gives us this picture. He says, of course, in the moment, we don't like to be disciplined. It's very unpleasant, but we recognize that it is the act of a loving father. In fact, if your father did not discipline you, that's not a good sign because that might be saying he wasn't even your father. 
But because we are the children of God, we are certain that he will discipline us. So who receives the discipline of God and who receives the punishment of God? Well, God's children receive his discipline. We know from the first chapter of the book of John who his children are. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, those who believed in his name, believed in Jesus' name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. So we are God's children if we have received Jesus as the Lord of our life. If we have placed our faith in him and we follow him with our life, we become God's children, which means that we will certainly receive his discipline. It might not be pleasant, but it is certainly better than receiving his punishment. Because God is a loving and merciful father, but he's also a just and righteous judge. And each of us is a sinner deserving of punishment for that sin. And so what does that punishment look like? Well, it's described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which says this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And so we recognize, and if nothing else, we are thankful that receiving the discipline of God shows that we have been rescued from the punishment of God. That we as His children thank Him, if nothing else, for that. That we deserved punishment, but Jesus willingly took the punishment upon the cross, upon Himself, the full wrath of God poured out in that moment on His Son. Jesus, the only one who did not deserve punishment, took it on our behalf so that we could become God's children and receive not his punishment, but his discipline, an act of love. And so this is an important clarification, but even still, I recognize that discipline is a hard subject to talk about. It's hard to know, even as a parent, it's hard to feel like you're doing a good job as a disciplinarian. You ask yourself, am I, am I being too strict or too, too lenient? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, there's not a, a black and white way to do this. Each child is different. One discipline for this kid is good and doesn't work for this kid. Whenever Layla, came, Layla and Kingston came to live with us as foster children, before we adopted them, in Louisiana, there's a rule that you cannot spank foster children. And so we did not while they were foster children uh, for the first two years. Um, <laughs> And then when we were able to, I kind of had like, it kind of worked up in me. I was you know, kind of anxious about it. And so a lot of times I would spank them and then I would go out into the hallway and then hit myself in the same way, the same hardness and be like, no, that wasn't hard enough. No, no, no. Or, or no, that one was a little too hard. Like, I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't going over the top. And it, it's just, I get it. It's hard to know. Are we being too strict? Are we being too lenient? One of the famous discipline stories from my family growing up was my brother and I, my dad came and said, hey, clean your room, get ready for bed, take a bath, get ready for bed. And so we, rather than cleaning our room, just shoved everything into the closet and then forced the door closed. Um, then we went and we um, took a bath. We were young enough that it wasn't weird that we were taking a bath together. So we were like 16 and 20 or something like that. Um, <laughs> now, we were four and eight. 
And then uh, we come back and we're about to get dressed. And we should have noticed that the closet door was open and an avalanche of stuff had fallen out of. But we did not notice. We also somehow did not notice that my father was even in the room. And all of a sudden we were being spanked. It was like being spanked by a ninja. Like, where did he even come from? (laughs) Batman swooped out of the shadows. And you should know, the only thing worse than being spanked is being spanked naked. And the only thing worse than being spanked naked is being spanked naked when you're still a little bit moist from your bath. <laughs> so here's the thing about discipline and, and why it's so hard. is probably half of the people in the room are laughing and thinking about when they were a kid and half of the people in the room are thinking that I'm a victim of child abuse. <laughs> we wrestle with this and we wonder and we go, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing it out of anger rather than out of love? Have I overstepped? Am I letting them get away with things that they shouldn't get away with? And that makes it a very hard and complicated subject for us. But guess what? We do not have these concerns with our perfect Heavenly Father. He is all-knowing, all-wise. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows exactly how you need to be disciplined, when you need to be disciplined, and in what way you need to be disciplined. He does not make mistakes. And he will always discipline us out of love, not out of anger. And so when you are under the discipline of God, do not think to yourself, God is angry with me. He is not. Jesus already took the punishment, all of the punishment from the past and the future. You are not being punished by God if you are his child. You are being disciplined. And it is an act of love. And so th- this should change how we feel about our, when we are under God's discipline. We should, if we're able to, feel loved in that moment. Recognize that he is protecting us from our sin. Here's the deal. is We live in sin. We live around sin. We're so familiar with it that sometimes we can convince ourselves that it's no big deal. But this is a lie from Satan. All sin, from the greatest to the least, is death, destruction, corruption, killing you, killing your relationships, killing the world. This is what James tells us in chapter 1 of his book, that they are birthed from our wicked desires, and once they have grown and matured, they give birth to death. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that the corruption that is in the world is due to our sinful desires. And so what we realize when we find ourselves under the discipline of God is that he wants to rescue us not just from the eternal consequences of our sin, but also from the immediate consequences of our sin. When I sin, I am speaking death into the world, into the relationships that I have. And God does not want that for me and for my life and for my family. And so he places me under his loving, fatherly discipline so that I would not continue in that way. He wants us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us power over sin, the ability to resist temptation, the ability to stop creating more death and corruption and destruction in our world. And so he wants to rescue us, not just in eternity. He wants to rescue us today from our sin. Because he is a good and loving father. 
And so the hard thing to recognize in that truth is that often we have to be protected from ourselves. We need to be corrected. This is what we see in verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, this verse almost feels like it could be taken out of any psalm in the book of Psalms, right? But we know coming out of the mouth of Jonah, it is particularly meaningful. He was one who believed that idols were not vain and empty. He was one who believed that I could run from the presence of this God and be in the presence of another God. And God through his loving fatherly discipline, has corrected him of that wrong belief. He saw those sailors crying out to God after God after God. Maybe one of them can rescue us, and none of them were able to rescue because none of them were real. They were all vain, empty idols who could not bring hope to that situation. But one God could. One God did answer, Yahweh, the one true Lord. And Jonah has now... After three days and three nights of being miraculously sustained in the belly of a fish, has finally admitted, okay, there's only one true God. He has been corrected of his wrong belief. And so secondly, we see the result of God's discipline is correction. First, it is rescue, and secondly, it is correction. Correction can be unpleasant. I mean, do you like to be corrected? It's a humbling thing, right? But here's the deal. It often depends, my feeling about being corrected often depends on the person's attitude and their purpose in correction. Because a lot of times people correct other people just because they want to feel really smart and the best way to do that is to make you look dumb. So like imagine I'm like, oh look, there's a ladybug on me. I've heard that's good luck. And the person's like, well, actually, that's an Asian multicolored ladybird beetle, and they are an invasive species that eat native ladybugs, so that I don't think that sounds like good luck at all. Okay, all right, thanks. <laughs> the person's purpose is not to correct you in a loving way. Their purpose is to humiliate you. But here's the thing about God. Even when he is trying to humble you, he is not trying to humiliate you. He doesn't need to make himself look smart or pat himself on the back. His entire purpose is he is trying to protect you from your wrong belief, your wrong actions, your wrong living. He wants to save you and rescue you from that sin. It would be more like this. Oh, look, there's a ladybug on me. I've heard that's good luck. And the person says, actually, that's not a ladybug. That's a black widow. And you might want to be careful and get that off of you very carefully. Now, I know that's kind of a ridiculous statement. Surely I can tell the difference between a ladybug and a black widow. But spiritually, we are not so adept. Sin is enticing. Satan is crafty. And sometimes we mistake a black widow for a ladybug. Sometimes we convince ourselves that our sin is no big deal or that if I get through this loophole, it's not actually sin. And God comes along and he corrects us, he disciplines us because he does not want us falling into that death, destruction, and corruption. Because here's the thing, church. Even a small, unbiblical thought can put you on a boat to Tarshish. 
And this is not where we want to be. This is not where God wants us to be. And so he disciplines us as a loving father so that we can be corrected. And so if if you think about it, if you're able to recognize that God's discipline has first rescued you and secondly corrected you, then the third result is kind of a a natural overflow. Look at the beginning of verse 9. But I... Meaning, in contrast to those who worship false idols, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. And so Jonah is saying, I realize that I have been rescued. I realize that I have been corrected. And the natural overflow of realizing those things is to be thankful, to praise God for who he is and what he has done. And so the third result of God's discipline is that we should praise him is that we should praise who He is, what He has done. Which is our third point this morning, the third result of God's discipline, is praise. You know, there's a good saying that would help us to understand this, but I'm always a little hesitant to use sayings from the pulpit because when Meg and I first started dating, I realized that my family used sayings all the time. And that her family never used them. And so oftentimes I would use a saying and she had no idea what I was talking about. I'd be like, where's my Bible? Where's my Bible? Oh, if it were a snake, it it would have bit me. Okay, good. I was a little worried that's just one that we say in Kentucky. But apparently it's one that we also say in Crestucky. So, (laughs) um, you know, and she'd be like, if it were a snake, what are you t- why would your Bible be a snake? What are you talking about? They'd be like, what? You don't know what I'm... And so all the, all the time it'd be like, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And she's like, what? You know, I don't mean to beat a dead horse. What are you talking about? Well, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. She's like, why is it always hurting animals? What, what is going on here? And so... I actually double-checked with her on this one, and I think this is a simpler and much more common saying, which is, hindsight is 2020. okay, which simply means, in case you don't know, it is much easier to look back on a situation that in that moment, it was confusing and hard to understand, but looking back on it, we are able to see it and understand it as if we have perfect vision 2020. Well... As you look back on your life and you see the results of God's discipline, it is very natural and easy that we should say, wow, look what God did. He rescued me. He corrected me. I am so thankful for what he did. But here's the challenge. Jonah is still in the belly of the fish. He's still in the middle of God's discipline, and he is thankful. And so can we with humility and with growth and with faith, trust and be thankful for God's discipline while we are in the middle of it. That's much, much harder to do because all discipline is unpleasant in the moment, but it is the act of a loving father who is trying to correct us and rescue us and train us and grow us in holiness and righteousness. And so we can thank him and praise him even in the middle of his discipline. And so the last result is probably the result that you expected the most as we keep reading. Look now as we finish out 9 and 10. What I have vowed, I will pay. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, I would imagine that this is the first time in all of human history that someone was thankful to be lying in a pool of fish vomit. But he must be thankful to be out of the fish. And he recognizes that this is, again, the divine act of God because he has said, I am willing to be obedient to what you have called me to do. That's what he's saying when he says, I have vowed, or I will pay what I have vowed, I will pay. What exactly he's talking about here, I think, can only be one of two things. Either he's referring to a moment when he vowed to be a faithful prophet of the Lord, or he's referring to when he was about to drown, he vowed to God, if you rescue me, I will be a faithful prophet to the Lord. Either way, the result is the same. He is promising to be obedient to God's call to take the message to the Ninevites. And so the fourth result of God's discipline is obedience. Rescue, correction, praise, and obedience. Now I wonder if him laying there in the pool of fish vomit, if he was thinking to himself, I wonder if I vowed to be obedient. I wonder if I could have gotten out of that fish a little bit faster. You know, I mean, three days and three nights, that's a pretty long time. I actually thought of, uh, I was reminded of Saul's story in the book of Acts. You guys just studied through the book of Acts with Dr. Jumper, and so I'm sure you remember in Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to persecute the church. Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, and says, quit it. And then Saul, what does he do next? Immediately becomes obedient to Jesus? No, he goes, and for three days and three nights, He does not eat, he does not drink, he prays, he remains blind. In fact, he is not healed of his blindness until God gives him another vision of a man named Ananias who's going to come and pray over him and heal him. And then when that happens, it's like finally Saul submits and becomes obedient to the call that God has for his life. But it took him three days of wrestling. And so some of us are more like Saul and Jonah. We're a little bit more hard-headed. It takes us a while of wrestling in God's discipline before we get the picture. But either way, whether it takes you just a moment or three days and three nights, we can be thankful that God is a disciplinarian, that he is a loving father who wants to rescue us, correct us, that he's deserving of our praise, and that we can grow in greater obedience to his call. Sometimes it is very dramatic, like Saul or Jonah, that sometimes it's a a complete 180-degree change of being 100% disobedient to God to now following in obedience. But often, it's more commonly a very slow process, A day-by-day process of growing in greater and greater obedience to God. It is the process that you experience every single time that you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you in order to be your comforter, to be your guide, and to convict you of sin to point you away from unholiness and toward holiness. And so if you are a Christian, I am certain that you have had this experience when you have done something and immediately the Holy Spirit said, 
That wasn't the right thing. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have even been in that place. And in that moment, it's not a pleasant feeling. But it is the discipline of the Lord. It is Him calling us to greater obedience. It is Him trying to rescue us from greater consequences of sin. It is Him trying to correct us. And it is Him being worthy of our praise. And so if nothing else, we can walk away from this text being thankful every time you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit tell you, you missed it. You're called to be a holy one. That's not the proper way for a saint to live. It's not a pleasant thing, but it is a good gift from our Heavenly Father. In fact, I think it would be good if tomorrow before you left the door, walked out the door to go and do whatever you were going to do, is to say, Holy Spirit, please let your voice be loud today. Because it's so easy for the noise of the world to drown out the quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. And we do not want that. We need His comfort, we need His guidance, and we need His conviction. We need Him to stop us and tell us we're called to be holy. We need Him to correct us and to redirect us. And though it is unpleasant, we are thankful for it because we want to be obedient to the one who deserves our every obedience. As we are concluding, we'll have a time of response where we're going to have a chance to praise God for who He is, even for His discipline. But before that, I want us to consider this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're new to all this Jesus stuff, you're new to the Bible, and you're thinking, why in the world would I sign up for receiving the discipline of God? You're telling me I should follow Jesus so I can then be disciplined? Well, the Bible makes this absolutely clear. You will either receive the discipline of God or the punishment of God. There is no other option. And trust me, the discipline of God is a good thing. It is a loving thing. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived yet, and we all need to be sharpened and to become more holy. The punishment of God is the act of a just judge. And if you're honest with yourself, if you're honest about the darkness in your heart, then you know you don't want to receive that punishment. So will you receive the discipline of God or will you receive the punishment of God? It all depends on if Jesus is your Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, you are God's child and he will discipline you rather than punishing you. And so if you are uncertain about that this morning, I would love to speak with you this more, uh, down here in the front. Or, if, or perhaps the Holy Spirit is clearly speaking to your heart right now. It's time for you to become a child of God. And come and, and meet with me in the front. I'll show you from His Word how Jesus can be your Lord, how you can be His son or daughter. Father, we're so thankful for Your perfect and holy Word. We're so thankful for your discipline. Help us to be more thankful. Help us to learn to be thankful 
even in the moment when it is unpleasant because it is our rescue. It is our correction. You are deserving of our praise and our obedience. Father, in this moment, I ask that we would be obedient to your Holy Spirit. Help us. Give us courage. Move us out of our seats in the ways that you are moving us. Lord, we love you, but we know that it's only because you loved us first. And we praise you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.